This is the Consumed Podcast, featuring conversations with the eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers of California's Central Coast. I'm a food writer and your host, Jamie Lewis. Before we get to the guest, I want to tell you about an event I'm hosting in collaboration with At Her Table, a food festival that celebrates women. The live event is called Apron Strings, a conversation about motherhood and the hospitality industry. And it's happening Tuesday, March 7th from 6 to 8 p.m. at There Does Not Exist Brewing in San Luis Obispo. In this live podcast recording, I'll speak with four mothers who own restaurants, Fabian Tefera of Ebony Slow, Brittany Gonzalez of Central Coast Tacos, Shani Covey of Luna Red and Robin's Restaurant, and Sam Whitaker of Bing's Bao Buns. And we want you in the audience. Admission is free, but you need to RSVP to claim your seat. Head to letsgetconsumed.com slash events for more info and a link to that RSVP. Thanks. I also want to give a shout out to some of the Consumed Podcast sponsors. Consumed is sponsored by Mid-State Containers, Cargo Storage Containers, and Refrigerated Shipping Containers for sale and rent in California. You may not understand how Mid-State Containers could change your life, but the truth is, Many, many guests on the Consumed podcast use MidState for their projects. Containers can serve as wine storage units for case goods, for private collections, and even tasting rooms. They can be refrigerated storage containers for breweries, kegs, and fruit during harvest for wineries. MidState Containers outfits coolers and freezers for ranchers, farmers market growers, orchards, and butchers. Containers can make great pop-up coffee bars and berry containers for root sellers. My guest from Season 10, Krista Flieger, from Lonely Palm Ranch, uses her mid-state container for an office on her property. Other ideas include schoolrooms, music and photography studios, and there are other things that can be grown, stored, and processed in a mid-state container, so use your imagination and get on their website to request a quote. Midstatecontainers.com The Consume Podcast is sponsored by Slow Life Magazine, a bi-monthly publication that celebrates the spirit of San Luis Obispo. I've been writing for Slow Life's food column since 2015, and I've covered a whole lot of restaurants and eaten a whole lot of dishes in that time. Standouts include the fries at Beta's Beer Garden, the carnitas at Taqueria Santa Cruz, the bao at Mihang Lo, and the burgers at Flavor Factory. For the next issue, I'm writing about French bistro cuisine at Blue Moon over Avila and executive chef Jose Dahan. I won't spoil the surprise, but if you're a francophile, you're going to want to read that article. Look for Slow Life Magazine in your mailbox every other month or get yourself a subscription at slowlifemagazine.com. Do you want to be more intentional about the meat you eat and feed your family? Have you even considered giving up eating meat entirely because you can no longer justify supporting the inhumane and industrialized system that brings meat to your dinner table? If you're looking for a simple way to guarantee you always have access to healthy, sustainably farmed meat and wild seafood, the Larder Meat Co. is here to help. Since 2016, Larder Meat Co. has been delivering farm-raised beef, pork, chicken, lamb, and wild seafood sourced from right here in the Golden State to customers who demand the highest quality proteins as well as intentional sourcing standards and transparency. A convenient club box from Larder Meat Co. makes it easy to automate the most important part of your monthly food budget. 
you can build a custom box or choose from one of the many curated bundles that LMC offers. As a Larder Meat Co. customer, you are supporting the ever-dwindling ranching industry that has fed us for generations, and you're building a sustainable future for your family, our ranchers, and the planet. Use code CONSUMED at checkout to save $25 on your first subscription and check healthy farm-raised meat and wild seafood off your grocery list for good. That's LarderMeatCo.com. Promo code CONSUMED for $25 off your first subscription. Okay, on to the episode. I met Vicki Carroll several years ago while working on a magazine story about the wine industry's supporting cast members. Like, not the people who grow grapes or make wine, but all the other folks who make the magic happen. And if anybody makes the magic happen, it's Vicki Carroll. She is the president of Hospice du Rhone, an organization of wine producers across the globe that promotes Rhone varietal wines. It's hard to believe there was a time that people didn't know what Syrah or Grenache are, but it really wasn't all that long ago. As the administrator for Hospice du Rhone, Vicky has worked to coalesce the efforts of Rhone producers all over the world to share their work with consumers. So if you've ever tasted Grenache, Syrah, Mouved, or Viognier, you have Vicky in part to thank. Here we talk about Hospice du Rhone events, what it's like to be the American wine producers in a room of French wine producers, and the beauty of the south of France. Here's Vicki Carroll. Um, do we call you executive director of Hospice du Rhone? I'm the president. You're the president. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. that. <laughs> Just the president. Um, and you've been doing this for a long time. How long has it been uh, now? This is the 24th year. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh a couple years. What's it like to have the same job for 24 years? It doesn't seem like 24 years, so that's a good thing. And there's a lot of history clearly involved, but also a lot of wonderful relationships, which we get new new people coming, learning about people every year, and um, it's great. Yeah. It doesn't seem like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this for 24 years. No, I don't get that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you bring, because you were the first, right? Didn't you come up? You helped establish Hospice Um Matt Gerritsen and John Alban had started it. Okay. And they had had a couple of events um, and had had one at the Paso Robles Fairgrounds. Mm-hmm. And they both had, you know, wine. John had his winery. Yeah. Matt had a job, a full-time job. And they came to me and said, we can't do this. Mm-hmm. And I had just left the slow... Vintners. And um, so I said, oh, sure. So we want you to be a partner. We want you to step in and take take this off our hands. And so I did. And that's how it all started. Yeah. I I was pretty innocent about what it really meant. Ignorant, too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think anybody who is questioning whether they need an administrator for something, Mm -hmm. I mean, look at how... It's like it it creates sustainability within the organization. And the fact that you've been doing it for 24 years since um, the beginning of that administration, there's institutional knowledge that you carry that makes you just totally invaluable. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, what got you into wine in the first place? Oh, gosh. I was in college, and one of my friends worked at Cork and Bottle. 
You mean the liquor store right over here? Mm-hmm. That uh, is hysterical. Up here on Foothill. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. our it's our local um, liquor store. Yeah, and we and there were a couple of friends, and we would get together, and they would say, "Oh, people keep coming in and buying this wine," mm-hmm. and so they would get a bottle of wine. A group of us would get together, and we would taste it. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. but we thought we knew a lot about wine, yeah. and we didn't. And that was the beginning. You didn't uh, have parents who drank wine growing No, up? no. Yeah. No, not really. What was their thing? What were they into? What are they into? Um, my dad was a jeweler in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. His, grandfa- his father was a jeweler in San Francisco. And when my grandfather passed away, my dad said, I really don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And we had a house in Mariposa, mm-hmm. a cabin. And um, he said, we're moving to Mariposa it's from San Francisco. So we did. Yeah. And, How old were um, you in that? I was seven. Okay. And so my dad did various jobs like... Um, working for Cal Fire, mm-hmm. working for the federal government fire department, from being a jeweler to doing this. Wow, that's a big change. To logging, oh, wow. all kinds of different, you know, blue-collar yeah. jobs that he absolutely adored for the that's rest awesome. of his, until he retired. Good for him for saying, I don't want to do this, especially with a family business. Right, yeah. yeah. He was felt obligated, and when his father passed away, he... Decided that was it. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could yeah. say that. Yeah. And your mom um, was she in the picture? Um, yes, mom. Oh my gosh, we have six children in our family. Where are you in that lineup? I am next to last. Okay. Yeah. So bookend boys, yeah. and then four girls in the middle. Yep. With a very big span, like mm. I don't know, fifteen years maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, she was pretty busy with all of us, I'd say, but also really involved in our school and mm-hmm. and in Mariposa. It's a very small community. When I we moved there, I moved from a classroom of twenty six. You know, I was in first grade to a school that had twenty six. Wow, two room schoolhouse. So my mom was always one to look around and see how she could help to make things better. Yeah. So she volunteered a lot. She was really involved in the community. And when I was in college, she became the first woman supervisor in Mariposa County oh in the history gosh. of county. And she had that job for 17 years until she passed away. That's incredible. She was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, when you were a kid, did you ha- show like signs that you were a good administrator or like good organized that kind of thing? I probably did. Uh, I would say in my teens, I started re- taking over. Like, okay, what's for dinner? You know, oh, really? Yeah, I'm interested in cooking such and such, and so, or if there was a family birthday, but I got all of that from my mom because she would really organize things very well. Yeah, she'd in, have to I'm in sure. our family and in our community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so That's cool. It was great. Yeah. Um. So you went to Polly first, Cuesta. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you knew you wanted to come to Slow. Yes, I knew I wanted to come to Slow because my high school boyfriend was going to college here. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's the reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is so much the the reason for so many things uh-huh. for people. Yeah, it, it wasn't something that I had 
planned yeah. for my education. Mm. Yeah. So came to Cal Poly, what did you major in? Social science and social work. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get to do any of that social work? Um, I did an internship in uh, county mental health. Mm. And um, during the time that I graduated from college, there weren't a lot of jobs in the field in San Luis Obispo. And I put myself through school working at City Hall in community development. Oh, wow. There was a group of architects that wanted me to come to work for them. And I didn't really want to do that, but that was the only job. And they had me start doing their public relations and responding to RFPs. So I was putting together proposals for them to do jobs. And that really started my marketing and public relations interest. Yeah. And I've always loved architecture. Same. It's a great combination. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And you put yourself through school. I did. That's amazing. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for people who do that. You must have really wanted it. I did. It took me eight years to get my college degree from the time I graduated from high school. But I would work and go to school. Then I get really burned out. So then I would just work and then, you know, go back to school. And it it all came, it finally came together. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is the guy that you followed out here the man you're married to now? No. (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of, I was like rooting for you. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you meet... um, it's Harold, right? Howard. Howard, pardon me. How That's did you, okay. How did you meet Howard? Let's see. I had graduated from college, was working for MDW, Mary MDC and Wisnat architecture firm. Yeah. Uh, I was invited to go to a barbecue, uh, and Howard was there. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple there that I sat and talked to for a really long time at the barbecue. And they introduced me to Howard, and then, you know, it's like, hi, how are you, whatever. Mm-hmm. He went away, and um, those two invited me to come to dinner. They found me. They knew I worked for an architecture firm, and there were only three or four in San Luis, so they called yeah. around to find me and invite me to dinner well, they because were they were yeah. wanted to introduce, they wanted Howard and I to be together, mm-hmm. and that was it. We oh. went to dinner at their house and started dating, and nice. they were right. And you had a couple kids along the way, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah we've been married 40 years, mm-hmm. and we have two girls. Nice. Yeah. And one of whom, now, we were just talking before we started rolling, is doing some work for Hospice Around. Yes. She's doing the communications mm-hmm. and, and public relations, too, yeah. for us. So... For somebody who, I mean, there are people who listen to this who know a lot about wine, but then there are those who really have no idea uh, what something like Hospice Drone is. If you were to explain it to somebody um, who doesn't know, what would you call it or how would you describe it? Well, our focus is to to promote the Rhone category on an international basis. So Mm -hmm. to promote the producers, the wine Everybody who is in, involved, there are restaurants that focus on it, there are wine reviewers who focus on Rhone varieties. Um, so we try to support everybody and bring everybody together, and collaboration is a big thing for us. So all year long we're working on doing that, but we have major events. So our biggest event is in Paso Robles yeah. and has been for many years. So... 
that would be an educational event, mm-hmm. but also we ha- we do have a tagline called Serious Fun. <laughs> so we want people to be informed about the rowing category, um, to really be introduced to what it means to people who produce it all mm-hmm. over the world mm-hmm. and how they do that, but then also to develop relationships with those people that produce it around the world. And there are a lot of cl- collaborations between mm-hmm. people that have come to Hospice du Rhone over the years that are now making wine together, have projects together, um, just a number of them, not only in Paso, but all over, yeah. all over the... Did when um, the two gentlemen, when they started Hospice Drone, did they intend for it to be an international thing? Or was it, my, my impression, and this is just kind of an ambient impression, was that it was to focus on producers in California or even just central, the Central Coast. No, it was intended for it to be international. Okay. Yeah. So it was the beginning of the Rhone movement, and there were producers here in California and maybe Washington State who really wanted to develop something to promote their own category mm-hmm. here domestically. And Matt and John wanted to do it internationally. So they started um, which what was called the Viognier Guild, and um, the Rhone Rangers yes. was born. Yeah. So two separate things, but essentially for the same purpose, one domestic and one international, mm-hmm. involving domestic producers as well. What's the relationship to Roan Rangers and Hospice to Roan now? Um, we're supportive of each other, okay. and certainly a lot of the Roan Ranger producer members come mm-hmm. participate in Hospice to Roan and, um, you know, vice versa. So mm-hmm. it's a great, we collaborate on ideas and thoughts and Membership. That sort of thing, yeah. membership, and and support each other's events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good relationship. Oh, yeah, no, sure. I don't mean yeah. to apply that. I didn't know if there was a closer, like if you were associated in some way, like one was the the local or the, you know, the regional group and one was the international uh, group. No. Okay, not in any official way. I think that would way. be too complicated. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you have enough going on, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, why does Roan... Why do Rhone varieties and producers need promotion as opposed to like, I'm sure, well, there's World of Pinot Noir and um, there used to be something, the Chardonnay Symposium, and I know there's the Cab um, group up in Paso, but Hospice de Rhone and Rhone Rangers also began far before those things did. Why, why did, do you think that happened for this particular category? Well, let's say 30 years ago, probably when Matt and John started, Rhone varieties were pretty unknown in the United States. Mm -hmm. And people preferred uh, Bordeaux varieties and Burgundian varieties. But John was the first American producer to plant exclusively Rhone varieties in his vineyard. And people thought he was crazy. And that's in Edna, right? Yeah, in Royal Grande Valley. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. right. And so the idea that there would be a promotional organization for Rhone varieties was just fabulous to John because here he was going to tastings. He, w- he was a member of the of uh, Edna Royal Vintners Association, mm-hmm. and he would go to the tastings that they sponsored with his Viognier, and people would ask for Chardonnay. Yeah. And yeah. they really didn't want to learn about it. 
And so, you know, the writing was on the wall. Hey, if I don't step forward and do something, who no one is going to be interested in buying my wine or I'm going to have to work a lot harder to sell it. Yeah. You know, and so that's what happened. And all of those producers, all of the, the pioneers in California, Northern California, um, who were planning Rhone varieties, and also um, Gary Eberly, who mm-hmm. who was really instrumental in starting Rhone varieties in uh, in our county, um, they they all wanted to support something that would promote the Rhone category. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it sounds like it was kind of synergistic, or and it was also just at the right time. It was at the right time. Yeah. You know, and then organically through the years, these it's built and these things have happened, and not without a lot of work. Yeah. But on the part of all the producers who, you know, are road warriors for mm-hmm. going out and promoting the category, and you know, they all should thank each other for yeah. their hard work. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. I started drinking wine. Um, gosh, I'm, it must have been like nineteen ninety-eight, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. You know, that's really not that long in the span of things. And by that time, Syrah, um, Viognier to a degree, Grenache, they mean they were present here. And so you could find things. It wasn't a total one-off at the time. Right. Um, so I, I don't have a frame of reference for when it's totally unknown. Um, how have you seen over the past 24 years and even beyond since you were involved in the Edna Valley Vintners, mm-hmm. how have you seen the public's perception and familiarity with Rome varieties change? It's changed a lot. Yeah. It, it really has. And even looking at wine lists, that's the telltale where you would think I would mm-hmm. go in and want to see the wine list and there might be a Syrah and hardly ever a, a Viognier and, yeah. you know, maybe, Maybe Grenache, but probably not. Yeah, so, maybe a GSM mm-hmm. and some of yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, and so now there some wine lists are you know specifically different categories with in Rhone being one of them, right? They might have their Burgundies and Rhones and whatever. So I see that changing uh, with the trade mm-hmm. for sure, and just in wine reviewers. Yeah. who are spending a lot of time traveling and, and tasting wines in the Rhone category. So it, it's been tremendous. I mean, yeah. There was a time when we really couldn't get someone here just to focus on the Rhone category mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. taste our wines and that yeah. sort of thing. Or, or restaurateurs to, to want to buy Rhone wines from producers yeah, because their consumers didn't want to buy them. They, yeah. they weren't interested. We, we're essentially you know, begging people to take this wine, yeah. try it, trust me, it's great. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of work for the producers I early on. I believe it, yeah. yeah. Which is interesting to me now because, I mean, these, these wines, depending on the maker, but very, very often, I mean, the quality is so wonderful. The the quality, I mean that in terms of like how well it's made and how, you know, the sourcing of the grapes, but also just the texture and the, um, the aromas, everything about 
so many of these varieties. I love blends. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also, so internationally speaking, I love the Northern Rhone. What is it when it's Syrah and Viognier, a little bit of Viognier in there as well, which is a really, you know, to the average California Rhone drinker, that's very odd. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is so beautiful. Right. And it's, it's pretty typical for yeah. them to do that there. Yeah. And, and there are more producers that are doing that here also hmm. now. Yeah. yeah. You, so the event started in Paso. It did not. It started oh. in, near Atlanta where Matt lived in, what? Mm-hmm, oh and gosh. worked in a wine shop. And he had one of his customers agree to host the first Viognier Guild around their swimming pool at their home. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt <laughs> invited a number of producers from around the world, mm-hmm. and John was one of the producers that he invited, and John was, heck yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. coming. And Matt's not a winemaker, but he's a, he was, an expert. He was not at the time, mm-hmm. and he did have his own brand for a while, and then he, he stopped doing that and is... Um, more into the spirits and wine yeah. business now, more distribution. But he it. was an enthusiast. He was an incredible enthusiast. Right. Okay. And, and Viognier was what got him started with Rhone hmm. varieties. And then he named the event the Viognier Guild. Hmm. So John went to that event. He offered to host and help from then on. And so the next event was at Alban Vineyards. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. I had that so wrong. And wow. they roped me into volunteering for it. For them, as before, I was even, you know, I was still at the Vintners Association. Then they had one in Northern California, Mm -hmm. maybe one or two, and then Paso Robles. Okay. And then that one pretty much stuck in terms of the big location. Matt moved to Paso Robles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But then you helped develop a partnership in Tennessee. Yes. um, Sam Bell, who was the proprietor of of Blackberry Farm, yeah. uh, loved Rhone wines and particularly Alban Vineyards. Mm-hmm. And um, John and Lorraine went to uh, Blackberry Farm to do a wine dinner. And uh, then they invited Sam and his wife, Mary Celeste, to come to Hospice du Rhone. So they did, and we were thrilled that they attended. <coughs> and I think it was their second time they attended. Uh, Sam was sitting with John and, and me and said, would you all consider coming to Blackberry Farm and doing an event? And John and I looked at each other, what? Yes, we would. So, you know, that was um, 13 years ago. And that's a very respected spot. Um, a lot of history there. Some tragedy as well. Um, yes. <clears throat> yeah. But um, it continues it continues. Um, Mary Celeste has taken over as proprietor, mm-hmm. and she's done a great job of continuing with the incredible hospitality yeah. and superior programs and things that they present at, at Blackberry Farm. So, you know, Sam's dream lives on, and Mary Celeste does an incredible job of making sure that that happens. And his presence is certainly felt there. I, I it. It, It's incredible when we go there. He is there. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's every other year, I think, right? We have every year at Blackberry oh, Farm. It is. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Every other year um, has been the Paso event. Okay, 
Um, what I know just as a kind of fringe person in the wine industry is uh, that volunteering is a huge part of the experience for so many people. It's a real pleasure for a lot of these sommeliers and, and others to get in and, you know, be setting up and pouring the wine. And um, it seems like quite a crew that comes and helps out. And they have so much fun, it looks like. It is. We have the greatest team. And we have new uh, sommeliers hopping in, you know, to help us. But yeah. we have a team of about 25 local and from around the United States and also France. Yeah. So uh, I I love that team and they're all about working and they definitely go you know very well with the serious fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But yeah they're they're incredible. We could not do our event without volunteers. So yeah. those 25 psalms and uh, probably another 100 and some odd volunteers from our community mm-hmm. and um, a lot of them from Cal Poly. Um, it's so wonderful the access that Cal Poly students have to on the ground education like that. It is. It's great, but we seriously could not have yeah. an event without them. That's so cool. Yeah. So cool for you and for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned France. So there is a tight relationship. I mean, you really do have an international slate of folks who come for the event. And you've gone there yes. as well. Yes. Every other year, on the year that we don't have an event in Paso, um, there's an event in the Rhone Valley called Découvert, the discovery of the Rhone Valley. And it's put on by Inter-Rhone, or they also call themselves Rhone Valley Wines. Mm-hmm. So Inter-Rhone is the government-funded organization that promotes Rhone wines in, in the Rhone Valley. So we go there, um, and sometimes we'll have a social event. We've collaborated on many um, with The Girl and the Fig from Sonoma, so Sandra Bernstein and John Toolsey, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, their wine list is Rhone only. Yeah, I actually didn't know that. Yes, it's Rhone alone. Oh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. And so that's, we started our relationship, and we would travel to Découvert together all the time, and sometimes it would be a social event, and sometimes we're asked to participate in seminars as well. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's coming up in, uh, in April. Yeah. So we'll head there. But that relationship developed because um, I really felt it was important for us to start networking with the regional vintners associations and around the world. Mm -hmm. And and also like wines of Chile, wines of Argentina, um, Spain, all of those organizations. But Rhone Valley Wines was really, really important to us. Mm-hmm. And the relationship it's that... The birthplace. Yeah. The, yeah, the right. relationship that we have, and also with all the different AOCs that mm-hmm. have their own organizations and, and come over to Paso to support us as well. It, it's really phenomenal. I mean, that's one of the most special parts of my job. I think it takes very special people. I'm going to paint a broad brush here and be very, I'm going to be very guilty of stereotyping. Um, I think it takes special American people to develop a relationship with the birthplace of, uh, you know, a category of wine in France. I, I, I could be very wrong, but I remember when I was doing all my WSET stuff, 
reading about how much wine travels from Europe to the States, as opposed to how much wine from the States travels over to Europe. And it's just, I mean, it's a fraction. It's a tiny, tiny fraction. Do you see that changing? I don't see it changing a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you for being honest. <laughs> <laughs> I do not see that. Yeah. But what I do see is... Um, more of an openness to share information. Mm -hmm. Because when we started going there, um, we're actually asked, why are you here? Yeah. You know, well, we're here because we have an international Rhone organization, and there were already some producers who were collaborating with us. Mm -hmm. But the organization itself wondered why, and we're here to support mm -hmm. you because we do the same thing you do. Mm -hmm. But we want to do it on an international basis. Yeah. And... Uh, Rome Valley Wines actually sent two of their um, management team to come to our event in Paso Robles for one day. Wow. To see. That's quite a trip. To see it and yeah. to just walk around. And then they really, after that, they felt comfortable knowing that we were not competing with them. Uh, we were promoting them. Yeah. And, we, you know, and it's in it, ever since that day, it's. It's just been fabulous, our relationship. We are welcomed with open arms by all of the producers so there, cool. and it, it is. It's a great feeling. I'm really anxious to, to get back to it. I haven't been yeah. there for four years. Because and, of COVID, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, so lovely. Is there any producer in particular in France that has really uh, championed what you all do? There are a few. Mm-hmm. Um, Yves Gangloff, Yves Cuiron, Pierre Gaillard, mm -hmm. and Francois Villard. Mm. Those four producers are who originally came here. John and Matt went to to the Rome Valley, and they called on a lot of producers. Mm -hmm. And those four guys agreed to come. Yeah, yeah. They didn't know what was going on with us, mm. or they just trusted and... And they came, and they really have championed Hospice du Rhone and mm -hmm. spread the word. And then, you know, with us working with the, the different AOCs and their organizations, it's really helped to develop a relationship. Yeah. So, yeah, those four producers, we call them the Amigos. Yeah. And, and they truly, they are still coming. I love They are it. still doing as much as they possibly can. When we go there... They have parties for us. They mm -hmm. just welcome us with open arms. It's really very fulfilling. I, yeah. I'm just now remembering, I mean, to somebody who doesn't know what this organization and what an event like this is, um, Hospice du Rhone is, relates to Hospice du Bone. It's kind of a, a play on that. Yes, Matt was really good with that. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. good. So um, Hospice du Bone is um that's burgundy right yes so it's an event that celebrates burgundy um wine and uh, has an international appeal also it does yeah yeah um, pretty famous i am willing to bet you have eaten and drunk drank better than the average person through having gone to these events and, and gone overseas. What are, relate to me, you know, some of these parties, what is it like to sit there with all these producers? It's really unreal. <laughs> <laughs> because you'll have the kitchen counter. You know, it's, it's in their home. It's yeah. casual. It's 
It's very informal. Everybody brings their great bottles, their mm. things out of the cellar. Um, everyone's very comfortable. We're not all sitting around in you know dresses and suits and ties yeah. or whatever. It's just like you and I are sitting here at this table in our jeans mm. and because um, it's it's wonderful. But to me, the food and the wine just tastes so much better there you know it's, it's the truth it just in when when you come home you think oh boy i wish i was back in france eating yeah. that whatever oh. you know but yeah it's it's a great experience and we've been to some really nice restaurants also and that's mm. wonderful um the hospitality is great and the culinary experience is can't be beat where do you stay when you go over there do you stay in anybody's house or do you get a hotel we usually rent um, like VRBO or something yeah. like that because we'll often take a group of people with us, maybe a couple of Psalms that want to tag along, and so we'll all chip in and rent a house, and that works out really well. Yeah. But there's also a small B&B in Ampuy that we stay in, four rooms, and mm-hmm. they're, they're good friends with Eve Gangloff, and um, so we stay there. Man. This time we're staying in a... A small hotel in Condrieu, and then there's Condrieu. That's uh-huh. the place I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Fabulous oh, place. So, <laughs> man, that that the production there is pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. And then in Avignon, the, yeah, there's two days in Avignon where you're tasting in the palace. Wow, it's it's so magical. Oh I, even gosh. I've been many times, but it I never get tired of it or take that mm. for granted you know it's just I, I i stop and okay let's savor this moment what are you doing mm. yeah <laughs> stop vicky uh-huh. what are you doing uh-huh. this is unbelievable yeah look around yeah you know breathe in and How absorb fantastic it. Yeah. we spent jake and i spent a little bit of time um in ikes and uh just le- i mean the Rhone, you know travels through town um, but southern France and the Rhone Valley is just, it's like this untapped, not untapped, but I think a lot of people don't realize how special that area is. Um, and we found just the friendliest, kindest people. Right. Um, and so if your only experience of France is Paris, you know, this is like complete, you've got to give this area shot it's so wonderful definitely get out and go explore it because the people are very friendly and mm-hmm. and they're they're welcoming and you now we need to step up and learn a few words and yes. be polite yes but you know whenever people say oh the french are so rude I'm like well no not the french people you know no I'm sure. i've never it's i've never encountered that yeah. at all mm-hmm Oh, gosh, you're making me want to go back. So it's in spring, so it's got to be pretty chilly when you it go. It can be, and the Mistral. The Mistral. Oh. So that crazy wind. Oh, my gosh. I thought that I had experienced it until the last time we went, and yeah. I had truly had not experienced it at its strongest. Yeah. It was so like cold. Like bone chilling. Yes, so yeah. cold. I wonder how the grapes do with all that. Well, at that time... And they might, they're still dormant. Yeah. Yeah. Not getting, not, no, like, mm-hmm. blossoms or anything getting knocked off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
What is next for Hospice Derone? I mean, is the the next thing really just kind of getting back online after COVID? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. This this last event uh, was great, but we hadn't had one in four years. And so, although we had planned to have one every year, so that was, that's really tough when you plan to have an event and you spend the money to, to do that. And then you don't have the event. Yeah, I can't imagine. And then you have to do it again and again. Um, Our own community was incredibly supportive Mm -hmm. and also our consumer community and the event was successful and you know now we'll pick up and move on yeah you know and we're we're always pretty slow in our off major event year mm-hmm. so this year is more of a a regroup uh, we'll do blackberry farm as we always do uh, we help Jeb Dunnick with his Central Coast tasting. Mm-hmm. So when he's here in this part of the Spire county, yeah. Mm-hmm. So would we do a major tasting for him? So even, not just Rhone, Rhone varieties, but mm-hmm. all varieties. And um, he'll taste probably about 400 wines. Can you imagine? I mean, do you do that with him? Do you taste the back, you know, after he's done? Uh, not any longer. <laughs> I mm. might uh, taste I'll, if there's something I'm curious about mm-hmm. that it's something that's new or one of my favorites, and I want to taste the next vintage. Mm-hmm. I don't taste with him, but prior to him yeah. tasting, um, the uh, we have a team of psalms that yeah. come in and and taste all the wines. And so once he's finished, mm-hmm. um, all of those opened wines yeah. actually go out into the wine community. Oh. Just, you know, whoever raises their hand, more or less? Yes. Okay. It used to be that wineries would host events, and we would take these cases of opened wines That's to I've them. That's what I've been to. Mm-hmm. I've been to those. And kind. now we it's so much easier for us this way, because sometimes there's a, a real time crunch for us, yeah. and maybe we're delayed, and then the winery's expecting us to deliver the wine. Mm-hmm. So this way, they come and pick it up. So yeah. they pre-order, they reserve, okay. We, wow. And so then each winery gets a couple of cases, and then they can hold their own tasting for their staff. Yep, That's And important. it's a really educational. We have 400 opened bottles of wine. No, I know. I, I just, I went to one, I think it was after Robert Parker came through and it's, it's, I don't think that the, the average person understands what a, you know, the wake that go after somebody like that comes through right the wake of this person where, you know, everybody, there is no reason for these 400 bottles just to sit there or no. for like, you know all of them to go to one person. So sharing is so critical. I wish I had access. I'm not asking for an invitation. (laughs) Well, you're always welcome. I know I am, but, but I just, I miss, well, I miss my metabolism, um, Mm -hmm. you know, 15, 20 years ago, but I miss access to wine in that way where, you know, it is, it educating your palate is about staying up on top of it. It doesn't right. just, it's not like you learn it and it stays. It's a constant, you know, refreshing mm-hmm. to, to get to, to know what you're tasting. It truly is. And, and sitting with people who are yeah, really interested in, in educating their palate and learning more mm-hmm. is a phenomenal experience. And that's the way I like to drink wine. I, yeah, I, there are too many distractions, and I like to sit and focus with yeah. maybe a small group of people just to have a conversation about that wine and what, what are they feeling about it. Yes, right. And let 
let the the let the wine open and change mm-hmm. in the glass and um yeah that's wonderful and it must be so wonderful for somebody like Jeb Dunnick to come through and Psalms have already opened and tasted everything it's like everyone's ensuring that it's at peak right. performance right he comes in and it's it, it's a hard day for him so he comes I in and that. everything is taken care of yeah. in that regard and so we just try to make it as easy yeah. for him as possible and I mean that's that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. But he has yeah. such a following and, um, you know, people want to know what he thinks and right. have it be right. So, yeah. So three or four days and yeah, we work through it. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the event in Paso I've been to, I haven't been to the other <clears throat> collaborative events, but, um, there's some really cool seminars and tastings that happen. And, um, I went to the one with, um, Oh gosh, what's his name? Maynard Keen, um, oh. out of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Because you got to go see the guy who made. Who, he's so eccentric, um, but I loved his. I loved his wine. So he's growing them in Arizona. He is, um, yeah. and he is the lead for the band Tool. So I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I had to take a picture with him and send it to my husband. Um, but what are some of the areas? that you are seeing emerging Rhone communities come out of that maybe are unexpected? Well, one that we've really been interested in is Walla Walla. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Rocks District, which we had featured in a, a seminar. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all, we've had Christophe Barone from Cayuse at Hospice Barone yeah. for a, a long time. And, um, but we're really, We've opened up the doors, you know, for the producers and the consumers, I think, to e- explore what's going on in Walla Walla and, yeah. and in the Rocks District. So that's been really interesting to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are other regions around the world, too, that we need to explore. Yeah. And I think that will be part of this trip that, um, that coming up is that I'm, I'm going to look at some other AOCs that we really haven't focused on. And, and Rhone Valley Wines is really good at introducing us to those AOCs. And like, this is who we're promoting this year because they're doing a great job. And the Von Two seminar that we just had, there were people are saying, well, why are you doing that? You know, who nobody knows about Von Two. Like, exactly. This, yeah, yeah. That's why we're doing it. That's your job. And during the seminar, there were people on their phones ordering from. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. And someone told me when they walked out of the seminar, you know, I just went on, I didn't want to go on my phone during the seminar yeah. to order this wine. And I just tried to buy some mm-hmm. from the distributor when I walked out the door, and it's gone. Yeah. And so, what an honor to be invited to do that, you know, it changes things. And they really appreciate it. And so, that's what we've always tried to do at Hospice Jerome is have the lesser known and then Mm -hmm. the classic, you know, Kigal, yeah, well known, but you can still learn from that Mm -hmm. as well. Oh, god, yes, so, um. And it's an honor to have all of them. Yeah, and I know you that know. they feel that way in the other direction. And too. they donate all their wine. Oh, do they really? Oh, yes. They donate every... So they really want to be here. Yes. And, yeah. you know, in, in those seminars in, in Paso, there are 325 people seated. Yeah. 
So that's a lot of wine. So you mm. know that they trust and believe that this will be beneficial for them, and we, um, in turn, want to give them everything that we possibly can of course, to yeah. thank them for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you were, uh, well, gosh, I, this is going to be funny coming from you because you're so, you've had so many beautiful, um, experiences, I'm sure, and dinners and all that. But if it was your last day on earth and you were like, you know, if I could have anything I want to celebrate my life, what would that be? And then of course, more importantly, what would you drink with it and who would be there? Hmm. Well, I'd I'd like a big pile of cheese in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) Digestion be damned. Mm -hmm. I'm dying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And probably some duck confit, Mm. although I normally don't eat meat. Yeah. Um, And I would say that I would like... Jean-Louis Shaw to be there and... And I would like um, some Hermitage Blanc to go with that. Yeah. I love it. And you would just chat? We would. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Because he's someone that I just would really love to have that conversation. I've had brief conversations Mm -hmm. with him, but uh, that sounds like it would be a fun thing to do. And a good way to go. And a good way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Vicki, we also respect the work that you do here. I mean, you talk to anybody who produces Rhone wines here and they just are everybody has such wonderful beautiful things to say about you and your your persistence and your you know you're just an unflappable um administrator and yeah we just appreciate you putting us on the map thank you i appreciate hearing that from you it means a lot to me (laughs) yeah it's been a labor of love yep totally you've built something important i mean you john matt everybody but but um you know it, it doesn't passion is one thing but hard work and organization is what makes passion possible, you know, makes it yeah. like actually manifest something. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. I have to thank Howard too, because my husband, oh my yes. gosh, he, yes. he is the best. He does so many things for us. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Well, they always do. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. And I seriously wouldn't be able to do it without him. Yeah. Shout out to Howard. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for coming over and chatting. Thank you, Jamie. Appreciate it. That's a wrap for this episode of Consumed. Thanks so much to Chris Lambert, who edits the podcast, and to you for listening. If you want more info about Consumed or any of my guests, visit letsgetconsumed.com. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis.